You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Sean, how's it going? David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm having a good day. I've been really enjoying writing some stuff for the Walled Garden uh, and and for the blog. We'll, we'll put stuff in the show notes and I put it up on Twitter. So. Uh, yeah, I know you had uh, some articles come out, and you had your recent um, you had your recent recent discussion. The meetup, yes, I did the meetup, and Wall Garden's still doing those meetups every Thursday, three p.m. Pacific, I believe. We'll put it in the notes. Um, they just have fun topics on philosophy and different things each week, and it's yeah, free to show up and listen, and eventually it'll get released as podcast episodes, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait till they finally release that one. On my end, I'm not doing anything nearly as cool, but there is an update into my. Uh, my uh, journey on learning German. Oh, yeah. um, so first of all, I'm on day 55 of Duolingo. And I also, and this is something I do pretty, like pretty often, I get carried away with something and I like, I, I go a little bit too far into the extreme without realizing that I'm probably going to fail anyway. So I don't expect to actually become fluent in German ever, but I did spend some money to buy the German edition of Harry Potter, the first book. I saw that. That's probably a really good way to practice it, right? Yeah, something that you enjoyed. Yeah, I, I was. I got it in my head. I was like, yes, I've been through day forty or whatever of learning German on Duolingo, so I could clearly understand what they're saying at this point. Like, I'm going to have some difficulties, but it's not going to be too much. Um, so I had to put the first entire paragraph into Google Translate, so I know what the first paragraph means, um, and I learned a couple new words based on those paragraphs. So it's going to be a slow. A very slow process. I do know that the word stoles or stoles means proud. That's I think starting with children's books is really the right way to go. I have this desire that I want to be able to read Nietzsche in the original German. That's just probably never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. But like I but a lot of people do read the first uh, Harry Potter book in different languages because the first one, I guess, was written for like a 12 or 13 yeah. year old or something like that. And mm-hmm. that's where it's good for me to like read and understand it but clearly i'm only speaking at a german like zero year old level so i think i picked up a new sentence from uh i didn't prepare anything for today but from the duolingo i was doing this week uh let's see if i get it right ich liebe mein opa you love your grandfather yeah i think i said it oh, right. perfect you got it there we go <laughs> nice anyway, I'm, glad, I'm actually i'm proud of myself that i actually know that so yeah so Zahn, what are we uh what are we talking about today Oh, yes. So here we go. So in a couple episodes in previous weeks, we discussed how Loki, in an effort to distract the horse Svadalfari from helping a giant finish the walls of Asgard, disguised himself into a mare, in the result of which was him being the mother of Odin's horse Sleipnir. However, Loki has many other children. So in this episode, we will primarily be discussing Gilfaganin from the Prosetta, mostly chapters 33 and 34, and over the next two weeks, discussing the other children and the roles that they play, the other children of Loki, I should say, and the roles that they play, all of which play a role in the lead up to the death of the gods at Ragnarok. Yeah, and I'm, I'm clearly very obsessed with that story of uh, Loki and Slepnir because I've written at least two different articles and uh, I've had that uh, special little short episode on it that I keep, and I think it's one of those things, Larry, that I was just wasn't fully finding all the interpretations when I first read it. And then I'm finding them all afterwards. So this was a cool one this week where I'm reading a book about the psychopath from the Jungian perspective. How do we make sense of the idea of a psychopath? So one is that the trickster archetype, right? We talk about Loki and some of our fans, even on Twitter, were saying like, isn't Loki kind of evil? So by this definition that the psychopath maybe is a little bit like the trickster, but without love, 
So if you combine the trickster and love, he's creative and he helps you find new ways to do things. And he's very playful, right? Him playing his practical jokes and making uh, Scotty, yeah, Scotty uh, laugh. But then without love, Loki is a cheater, a liar, causes a lot of harm. That's an interesting thing I found in a book about psychopaths. What are your thoughts, Sean? <laughs> Well, it's it's it is funny you say that because there's going to be one portion of this. Um, actually, it's going to be coming up here in a second where Gilfagani in chapter 33, which is titled Loki, describes Loki as being very beautiful, which is something I totally missed and forgot on my first read through. And I think I made an Instagram post about this, and I think I mentioned it in our episode as well, where we discussed Edun's apples on two separate occasions in that episode. Loki and Edun were together and alone. And we mentioned in Locusena, which I promise at some point we're going to get to, I know we mention it every week, Loki indicates that she is beautiful. So I feel like there's something not necessarily going on between them, but there is something to the idea of Loki maybe being positively or negatively influenced by love. And when you take that out of the equation, like where do his motivations go? Right. And they're constantly pairing him up, right, with a with a feminine goddess, with a goddess of beauty and love and things like that. And in this other weird parallel, it was from a, I'll have to put it in the show notes, a podcast about, so there's Dante's Inferno is well known, but there's also Dante's Paradiso, so the paradise or heaven. And in there, there was a line where it said that love is the force that moves the sun and the stars. And it reminds me of that part where it's strange, right, that the giant's not just after Freya, he's after Freya and the sun and the moon. Yeah. And I was like, you know, why, right? Why, why does he need those things? So this has got me thinking, thinking more about that. I'm trying to think of, so I don't go too much on a tangent, but. Um, well, no, it sounds like a, from a, it's a wonderful life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like where, do you want the moon? Like maybe there's something more than just him wrangling the moon. Right. And <laughs> sort of like, at first it sounds like he wants everything, right? But that idea, why do the sun and the moon have something to do with love, right? And Freya, the goddess of love, right? Which is but actually was, kind of kind of applies to that movie he did want something but his life kind of put him in a different path and like i know he was just kind of like making a joke at that point but like maybe wanting like what a moon or the stars could represent is more important which is something that we can't necessarily define monetary like with money right well and I, th I think it's that idea it goes back to what is the definition of love so the, the greeks often use the word eros you know when, in english right when we use love we might be meaning romantic or just kind of like brotherly love, right? Loving all humanity or love of children is kind of different than romantic relational love, right? So it's interesting too, because for the Greeks, their god Eros in some stories is actually like the first god. It's there before all the other gods. It's like the mother and the father to all the rest, Zeus and Hera, the ones that are like Odin and Frigg. Mm -hmm. um, and then that Freud uses that word Eros as saying that that's the motivation for all human behavior. So to some extent, he goes to it being the like the psychosexual motivations, things like uh, oral fixation and anal retentive and these different things. But that I think it is that he means it as something larger, right? It's not just love, but it's also the, the urge to create, to accomplish things as well. It's all motivated by this idea of love defined that way. Maybe. Um, mm -hmm. I'll leave it there, but that's sort of some, some thoughts yeah, that I had after uh, I think we can get, yeah, like, that, that, I think that's a good thought, though. I mean, I feel like we can get into, like, 
multiple conversations about like the idea of love. And I know there was, I know like outside of gravity in the movie interstellar love was a huge consistent over like different dimensions. So who knows, but But like in that movie, they were at different stars. So there's something with this. And when we're talking about Loki that you have that conversation too, right? There's something about that. Yeah. What's, what is Loki with love? What is Loki without love? Maybe. Yeah. And like, what is, yeah. Well, and like, what is Loki if like there's something more sinister that's like added to his life? Like, is he this playful guy that plays pranks who maybe be infatuated with like certain goddesses? Or if he's consistently introduced to like more sinister motivations by the gods, which we have seen in previous episodes, what can that build up into? No, and, so as I'm saying, it, it actually it was a little bit of my aside, but it really does connect into yeah, this week's episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, the gods are the gods of the Norse gods are the gods of uh, different parts of humanity, um, you know, in, inside and outside the human minds. But anyway, we can we can go ahead and get started if you uh, if you want. Oh, awesome. So I mentioned that this um, the, this episode is going to be from Gilfoganine from the Prosada. I know a lot of the stories on Loki have either been from Gilfoganine or Scott Scoppermall, which is the portion of the poetic era, excuse me, the Prosada after Gilfoganine. Gilfaganin is told through a conversation of a King Gilfi of Sweden and three figures that are all some aspect of Odin. So that you have high, just as high, and third, again, speaking to King Gilfi about the gods. So these this humanized version of Odin, um, or maybe not a non, in this case, a non-humanized version of Odin, telling King Gilfi about the actual gods. But anyway, chapter 33, as I mentioned, is called Loki. A lot of the chapters in Gelfagenin are very short, and they are just titled briefly with the names of different gods. I know we talked about Uller in previous episodes, and his chapter is pretty much is, oh, Uller is the god of skiing, and that's it. Moving forward. Yeah, yeah so chapter 33 go, talks, it's like two paragraphs on, um, on the god Loki, and it starts off by calling Loki the following. They call him the slanderer of the gods. They call him the source of deceit. They call him the disgrace of all gods and men. They also say that he's referred to as Lopt. So another name for Loki is Lopt. I think I saw that that came up. There's this, that, um, what do they call it again? The short uh, Volspa? Um, Volspa and Skama. Yeah, the Volspa yeah. and Skama. Um, that it's a very strange Part of the poetic edda and so i think that comes from that part that they'll call him that there uh, oh gotcha and so yeah, i guess they put it together and they were able to kind of like make that connection yeah they also claim they also state here that loki is the son of the giants far body which david i see you have a note here about yeah, what that the, means i was looking especially at john lindau's book um his uh, kind of encyclopedia of norse mythology that uh far body means anger striker and they also note that Sometimes when they say that Loki is the son of, or with many of these gods or, you know, characters, they're saying they're the son of somebody. It might just mean they're the, the descendant of. So like they're the, the grandchild or the great grandchild even. So that's maybe his dad or maybe just his descendant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That you find out that his mother's name is either Lafi or Nal. And I find this pretty funny because in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the first uh, Thor movie, um, you find out like, oh, wait, Loki's not an Aesir god. His parents are giants. His father is Laufey. So Laufey is his father in the MCU, but um, Laufey is his mother in the actual Norse myths. And I, I just, for some reason, put 
<laughs> I, I for some reason just thought about the character of Laffy in my mind right now, and I feel like he looks like a more he he looks like a a version of Vecna from Stranger Things, except he's blue. Yeah. Um. But maybe I'm maybe I'm like misremembering. Who knows? No, but but it's kind of unusual that they are always mentioning is Loki. You know his uh his kenning or his phrase that goes with him is isn't it Loki Lauferson? You know, son of Laffy, and that it's yeah. the maternal line rather than yeah. His father is always a little more mysterious. I think in the a lot of the sources. Yeah. 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 For sure. And then you find out here, and this is going to be very important for a either a short that I'm going to do or like maybe a mini episode that David and I are going to do where you find out that his brothers are Bilist and Hellblindy. And again, I'm looking up the, the meaning behind all the names. So one might be Hellblind, Hellblindy, and then they don't really know what uh, Bliest, is that how you say it? Uh, Bilist, I don't know. I, I'm Bilist, like, I know yeah. we're going to get it wrong, but. Yeah, Bilist. They don't quite know what it means, but maybe it has something to do with meteor, meteorology. So like a blizzard or hail or something, that's the best they can guess. No one yeah. Knows yeah. Gotcha. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, it says that Loki is pleasing and beautiful to look at, but his nature is evil and he is undependable, which is pretty funny. I didn't like, I, we all know that he's probably undependable because he's the trickster God. But um, here you find out that there's like some, um, there's like potentially some maybe infatuation with him based on his looks. Like he plays this part of this like beautiful person, just like to, uh, not unlike Tom Hiddleston from the MCU. But you, um, you, you can always count on Loki to to figure it out in the end, but in the most uh, painful suffering way possible. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Um, so he has the wisdom known as cunning and is treacherous in all matters. And this is where the uh, the quote, the Homer Simpson quote that I always mention comes from. He constantly places the gods in difficulties and often solves their problems with guile. Um, you also him being that yeah, parallel with Odin, right? Odin's all about wisdom, and that Loki is about wisdom too, but a very particular type of wisdom. That'd be another good parallel there. Yeah. 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 For sure. So here you find out that Loki has a wife. His wife is Sigan, and their son is Nari or Narfi. So that's the second child of Loki that we know of so far. The first of which is, is Sleipnir, as I mentioned earlier. Sleipnir, Loki is Sleipnir's mother and Svadalfari is Sleipnir's father. Here you know that Nari is the son of Sigyn and Loki. And Loki in this case is the father and not the mother. Then- We'll talk, yeah, more about them. we'll talk more about them next week, right? Because there's a really interesting story that goes with them, but it's uh, more related to... Uh... Yeah, yeah. there's going to be another story with um, both Sigyn and Loki. I don't know if it's not next week, it's going to be one pr- like after that. But they, they definitely are going to show up and they do play a huge part in uh, you know what is to come. But also, in chapter 50 of Gilfaganine, which is you know much later than chapter 33 and 34, which I mentioned earlier, this is one of the chapters right before the chapters get into Ragnarok. It mentions another son of Loki who is called Vali, who uh, we are also going to discuss in a future episode. But Vali is going to be considered is going to be the third son that we that we know of at this point. So we have Sleipnir, Nari slash Narfi, and Vali. And then they don't really say what um, Sigyn is the goddess of, right? Yeah, she she shows up in one of the stories. Um, however, she doesn't. You don't really know much about her. However, she must be a very loyal wife to to be. Um, well, yeah. There, well, it's funny because like in Locusena, there's like this one bit where, or no, no, actually, it may not be in Locusena, but there's like one like there's something somewhere in Norse mythology where Sigyn is kind of like 
reluctantly married to Loki. Like maybe she doesn't like it too much. However, she shows her loyalty, you know, with another episode. And this goes back to the beginning, not not the beginning of anything that we ever spoke of in this podcast. But one of the first tweets that I tweeted from Between Two Ravens, David, was find yourself a find yourself a spouse who loves you as unconditionally as Segan loves Loki. We should, we should probably and make that a meme again and uh, share it on Instagram. Yeah, I can make it my pins tweet. Um, it'll be the first one and we'll see if anybody likes it. Um, Cause I think zero people did the first time, but it'll be all be good. Towards trying to make sense of what she might be the goddess of. I was looking at a lot on the, the et- etymology, the, the meaning of her, the, you know, the word in her name. So the gin part G Y N is the same root as like gynecology. So it's woman. Oh, careful now, David. <laughs> yeah, no, but that basically just means that she's, so she's the, the woman, right. The, the goddess. And, and they use that word, um, a senior, to mean the goddesses. So the Aesir are the gods, the Asinir are the female goddesses. So it just means female. And then the the Sig, the S-I part is means victory. Sometimes they call Odin Sig father, which is the father of victory. So that means she's either like the, the goddess of victory, the woman of victory, the wife of victory, maybe. Um, even some said maybe um, the, uh, the joy of victory might be a way to say her name as well. So that's so, just, uh, yeah. Oh, good. We probably got to cut this out, but instead of Sigan, like Sigan, S Y G I N, it's O B G Y N. Oh, God. It's, it's relevant for me bringing it up because the uh, eventually I want to talk about uh, Dionysus from the Greeks and that he's a uh, yeah. androgynous. So, andro gynous, male, female. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if the Christian God exists, I'm going to hell. Um, but anyway. Um, no, but like, I do think it's, it's funny. Like you, if, <laughs> if you, if you look at that, it's like, oh, well, uh, female victory, like a winner of gynecology, who knows, but. No, just whenever you see that, yeah, the GYN and any of these old Norse words, that's the root where we get, uh, get that from in our language. So you, yeah, now you, now you, the more, you know. Sure. Definitely. So anyway, there's, there is a, there's a quote here. Um, Sigin does, Sigin does show up in Valaspa, um, stanza 34. Um, so Voluspa being not not Voluspa and Scamma, which we mentioned earlier, it's just the uh, Voluspa, which is the dead Sirius and Odin conversing. She says, the Viserys says, I saw a prisoner lion in a certain wood, the liar himself, none other than Loki. There sits Segan, his wife, although she finds no glee in her husband. Up oh, there it is. That's I, I just mentioned this. Have you learned enough yet, all father? And again, this is Jackson Crawford's uh, translation, but. Right. And I, I wouldn't imagine that she finds no glee in Loki. I think she's just probably a little bit fed up with him, but uh, sure. Yeah. You can't <laughs> not laugh at Loki. <laughs> yeah. And then the ending of Lokasena, um, which is also in the poetic edda, also mentioned Sigin, but we're going to get to that in that episode. So that's chapter 33 of uh, Gilfaganine. Um, so it's just basic stuff about Loki. So then chapter 34, at least in uh, Jesse Bayek's translation, is titled Loki's Monstrous Children, which is what this episode is about. We already know of Sleipnir. We know about Nari. We know about Valley. However, he has three more children, and these children play a huge role in the lead up to Ragnarok. And we've discussed two of them. Actually, I think we've discussed all three of them at some point in these. We have, actually. We've discussed all three of them in previous episodes. But here we get to learn about like how they came to be. So in this chapter, it starts by saying, Loki had other children with Anger Boda, an ogress who lived in giant lands. The three children were Fenrir, 
the, quote, Midgard serpent, who we know to be Jormungandr, or as David says, Jormungand, and Hel, or Hela, when the gods discovered that these three siblings were brought up in giant lands, and this is where a lot of what I find fascinating about Norse mythology comes into play, because everything that happens is because of what uh, is because of things that the gods did. Like in, when I say everything that happens, I mean Ragnarok happens because of what the gods did. So was this fated to happen, or did the gods just kind of screw themselves? So they learned that these siblings were brought up through giant lands. They learned through prophecies that misfortune and evil were to be expected from these children. All the gods became aware that harm was on the way. First, because of the mother's nature, the mother being Angerboda, but even more so because of Loki's. So once again, once again, Loki's reputation has some impact on what the giants do, which the giants, as we know, excuse me, the gods, excuse me, the gods and the the, the Aesir, we know that the Aesir's actions have given Loki a reason to be upset at them because they do know he's a fuck up, but they kind of go overboard and threaten him often. They threaten to kill him often. And that's where it Um, seems like that that Sigyn is a a goddess, right? That she's more of the Aesir, although I don't think we know like who her parents are exactly. But so when Loki's with a goddess, the children aren't quite horrifying, but Loki with a giant and anger Boda's name means the bringer of sorrow. That his, oh, nice. his children are, yeah, they're not, they don't even have giant children. They have these, uh, these horrifying creatures. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the Aesir, they are not happy that these gods, that the, excuse me, these beings exist, the, the children of Loki. And then they hear about this from a process prophecy. So I'm wondering, first of all, who this prophecy is from. Is it from maybe another like dead Sirius? Maybe Odin found out in Volospa somehow, or maybe it was from Freya. Freya joined the party like in the beginning before the Aesir Vanner war, but I am wondering who that prophecy comes from and like how they found it out. Right. And just as I read a little bit of some of the uh, sagas, just seeing like quotes and pieces of them, that there were these traveling seeresses that would just travel around. So I don't know if they made it to Asgard or not, but um, that is a good question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe that's something if our listeners happen to know the answer and they're like, it's in this poem's dipshit, mm-hmm. like we can have that conversation with them online, but oh, yeah. So really quick, and I, I did want to just bring up Anger Buddha again, because she does show up in Volospa and Scamma, which, as you mentioned, David, is the shorter Volospa. This is a conversation between a being named Hinli and the goddess Freya. It says, Loki fathered a wolf with Anger Buddha. He produced Sleipnir with Svalfari. But there was one child worse than all of the others of those born to Bilist brother Loki. So we know Bylas, as, as we mentioned, is uh, is Loki's brother. But I just wanted to quote that because Angerboda shows up. It's interesting the different translations and different spellings they use in all this. I, I found another translation that's so what you just read, but the way they said it is Loki sired the wolf on Angerboda and got slept near on Svadolfari. The witch alone seemed most evil, the one that came from the brother of Bilept. So it's interesting. In your version, they say the the worst child, right? was born from Billist's brother. But this one says yeah. the the witch alone was the most evil one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so which is uh, probably hell. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's what um, John Lindau says. But it's funny how, yeah, these different translations, one completely loses that, right? Why would you lose the word witch? Why would you just call it child? No, I have no idea. But. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we can move on. One second. So 
there at the Wolf Lawn. And then oh, one, you said that. One okay. last, yeah, one last weird thought on the um, the the Volspa et Skama. So it's in this poem from the poetic edit. I think it's called a Hume Liad. I'll say it that way. <laughs> and that they say it's a very weird poem where it seems like the people putting it together didn't really understand Norse mythology, and they just found this one piece that looked like Volspa, but it was shorter and they call it inferior. It's not as good as the original Volspa. And they just shoved it in the middle of this poem and it doesn't really fit. And it has all kinds of strange details that don't show up anywhere else in Norse mythology. Um, yeah. So it's just one of these, and they think it was probably written much later, like 1200s. So it's just one of these weird, very weird things in Norse mythology. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in, in this character, Henley, um, or like, what would, would you say the name was in, in your translation? The, the poem's called a uh, Hunliad, I think. But, okay, yeah. so I think that's supposed to be like the same being as like Henley. But so Henley and Freya are having a conversation. Yeah. But they're well, they're they're talking together. But there's also this character, this human named Adar, and Henley is telling Adar his uh, his lineage, like or his descendants, all the way up to when they were gods. And that's something I've discussed previously in uh, you know, my episode on the historical sons of Odin. Like, there's a lot of humans in the ancient writings where it says, oh, this human's descendant of this human who's descendant all the way up to a god. So Volospa and Scamma kind of does that, but it's primarily told through a conversation between Henley and Freya. You learn about Otter's ancestry for the first part, and then like um, the middle part, it gets into spouting this cosmic lore, not unlike, um, you know, Volospa. And it, is, it means the uh, the lay or the poem of Henley. Yeah, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. All right. Um, so moving forward, Odin sends the Aesir to seize the children, the three children that we just mentioned of Loki, and bring them to him. Once they arrived, he threw the serpent into the deep sea that surrounds all lands. The serpent grows so large that it now lies coiled among all lands and bites its tail. And I just had this one comment that as we think about reasons why Loki is pissed off and Loki becomes more evil. Well, they grabbed his three children and now they're uh, sending them to different, you know, prisons. They're not killing them, but they're just kind of sending them different places, right? So um, <laughs> Loki would not be happy, right? Even if his children are horrifying monsters, he still might care. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that goes into like, a, <laughs> I think it goes no conversation between like, a, not necessarily fading free will, which we discuss in this uh, podcast all the time, but more so like nature versus nurture. Like, yeah. If those beings are brought up in Asgard, like how would they end up again? Or maybe they're just fated to like do what they did anyway. But so they tested that with Fenrir kind of. Yeah. But, but also it's that if, if they just left them alone, right? Like if they just left them in Jotunheim, what's the worst that would happen? But now you pissed off Loki and, and then what happens? <laughs> you piss off Loki again. Um, so anyway, like you, the Midgard serpent is Jormungandr and we heard about him in a couple of uh, our previous episodes the first of which is, I think, part two of Thor's um, travels to Utgard, where Thor is in a contest with the giants um, Hymir. No, 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 not Hymir. Shit. Skrymir. No, the giant Utgard-Loki, who was previously known as Skymir. And his contest was to lift a cat, which he was only able to lift the paw. And you find out after the fact that Thor was at a disadvantage because the cat was actually the Midgard servant Jormungandr. Thor was not able to pick up this cat or this Midgard serpent. He goes home defeated. And then the next chapter of that story, which is from the Prosetta, shit, David, was that Scott Scoppermall or Gil Fogganin? I Yeah, I want to say that story is from Scott Scoppermall. Yeah. But the next story 
Thor is humiliated. He wants to get revenge. And so from the Procetta version of Thor's go fi- Thor's uh, fishing trip, he tries to capture Jormungandr, but fails. Um, and I know there was a poetic edit version as well, which doesn't have the same details, but it ultimately involves him failing to catch the Midgard Serpent. And I think so, I've seen too, that's a really famous story. It's on runestones. So they know that's that one's an old story. That one's that one's definitely true. Definitely. So that's um that's Jormungandr. Next, he threw hell, Loki's daughter, down into Niflheim. And I know we mentioned in previous episodes, we didn't know if Hell and Niflheim were the same place, but now it just is kind of comes full circle. They're the same place. The nine worlds, we don't know what they are, et cetera, which is also something we said in that episode. But the one Hell's, thing, in yeah, some cases, they'll call her Hella. So I kind of like that to differentiate Hella, the woman, and then there's Hell, the, the realm. Um, and maybe, you know, there was, as they explain, yeah, definitely there was Niflheim already, but then maybe once they cast her down there, now there's a realm called Hell also. Is it in Niflheim or right next to it? It's, you know. Like oh, that. yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe she created another world. And this is where that may actually be true because she was sent to Niflheim and she was made, and this is in quotes, she was made the ruler of nine worlds. And so I found this pretty cool because in the Poetic Edda, the term nine worlds exists. They just don't specify what the nine worlds are. Here, they they say that hell is actually made the Lordess or whatever of nine worlds, which, yeah, go ahead. Well, I had mentioned before that that might also just mean that she's the ruler of death because death is the ruler of all the nine realms, right? Every Everybody is subservient <laughs> to death, so that's... Certainly, what she does. Yeah. I, lo- I love the I love your psychological brain, David. But I also sometimes like your explain like I'm five, you know, <laughs> psychological philosophical psychological brain. But um, well, that's what people want. We'll, we'll let us know in the in the Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is where you hear we we mentioned earlier in previous episodes that Asgard, excuse me, Valhalla gets half of the dead from the slain. Folkfanger gets the other half. Here it mentions that. In Niflheim, Hel receives those who die of disease in old age. She has an immense dwelling with walls of immense height and huge gates. Her hall is called Elhudnar, which is meant sprayed with snowstorms. Her dish is hunger. Her knife is famine. Her slave is lazy. Slothful is her woman's servant. People enter her realm through a pitfall that is called Faland da Forad, which means falling to peril. Her bed is named Kor, which is sickbed, and her bed curtains are named Bik Yandabal. I hate these words so much, um, which means gleaming disaster. She is half black and half a lighter flesh and is easily recognized. And when it says half black, that's like supposed to be one half is Half her face is kind of like yeah. uh, frostburned, I think, is how it's supposed to kind of be described. Well, yeah, and I think like one half of her face is supposed to be like very lively and the other is not. It's supposed to like represent the dead. Yeah. And it also mentions here that she is gloomy and cruel. So she also, she will appear in a, a future episode on the God Boulder. But we also have mentioned previously a tale from the Poetic Edda, or at least Jackson Crawford's version of the Poetic Edda, where he wanted this story to be included, called Baldur's Dream, or Baldur's Drummer, where a character goes into hell and like describes her realm. So I just wanted to like briefly mention that that was on our episodes on the Nine Worlds. Yeah, so that um, so some of this comes from John Lindow's 
he, he gives this idea that maybe Hella might have a parallel to the thrice burned witch in Volspa. Definitely something we should like come back to that conversation when we're talking more about the goddesses, maybe. Because I always thought that was either like Freya or maybe like the Seeress that Odin talks to. But I just wonder if there's a, what, what an indication, you know, why does John Lindau say maybe that has something to do with Hella? Yeah, yeah no, that's interesting because I'm pretty like I was pretty confident that was Freya. Um, because that was like what happened to her in the lead up to the uh Aesir Vanner War. But I do know that most of what we know about her was from Hemskringla, which is something that we have not spent as much time as we have with the poetic edit and the pro edit. And we know that the gods and goddesses, there's gonna be a lot of crossover. Like then, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And I have a completely unsupported theory that it's actually Freya's mother. And that's why then Freya, her brother, and her dad are all sent as hostages. But I, I have no support <laughs> for that. I just like the idea. So it's it's gonna be a good for another spin-off. Like it's maybe if if you were around in the year 1400, um, you could write that down, bury it, and then and we would it. get it years later and we're like, this must be what they thought. Yeah. yeah. Which is unfortunately what a lot of these stories may mean, but Thank who you. knows. But and then that um, another kind of Greek connection and just these images that show up around you know it's a woman in the underworld she has two faces kind of she has you know her face is split that um, Hecate is the Greek goddess kind of of the underworld mostly Hades is the god of the underworld okay. um, Hecate was kind yeah. of in like a later phase of their mythology but she has three faces and one possibility of that is kind of like the three fates or past present future or something like that. Um, but just so if, yeah, you're ever reading anything about the Greeks, you're like, oh, that sounds like Hella. No, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, was Hecate? I'm guessing Hecate was not in the Disney Hercules. Again, that's that's how bad I am with Greek mythology. No, I know I need to be there's better. Some, but... There's some like versions of their pantheon where she's not represented at all. But then I think it's a, there's like a later era where she is there. Yeah, no, I need sure. to okay. learn more on her. But she gets forgotten a lot too. So that's yeah, interesting one. <laughs> nice. Um, and then Bileopt. How are we gonna say it, John? <laughs> Loki's I brother. don't know. Byliest, byliept. Um, go ahead. Byliept. <laughs> we just try it. Yeah. Byliept. In any case, that his name means raging fire. And so that's really interesting because Loki sometimes is the fire god, or he's called Logi is the fire god. Or maybe is Loki the brother of fire, right? That that's an important kind of like kenning again for him. He's the yeah, the brother of Byliept. And you know, who are Loki's brothers? They said Loki has three or two other brothers, right? So there's three of them. Uh, yeah, so Loki, yeah. Um, Byliest, and then uh, I think it was Hairblendy. Yeah, and that uh, you know, so similar to it's a trinity of brothers. The way Odin is a uh, high, just as high, and third, right? Or uh, or yeah, Odin, Villain, Day. Right. Um, yeah. Or you know, I know we briefly mentioned that this may be a possibility, like Odin, uh, Hodor, or excuse me, Odin, Honor, and like Loth, right. of which Loth, like we talked about, may be lopped. Yeah. who is another name for Loki, as we mentioned earlier. So right. you mentioned like we, we, if Loki was Odin's blood brother, blood brother, it would explain like, maybe there's like some uh, devotion of Odin to Loki and that he like lets Loki stay around. And that Loki um, has a brother whose name might mean something like half blind. That's a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah. So that's where this gets interesting. And like, this is where I was like very excited to like potentially do a short episode on like two of these topics, one of which yeah. are, um, is our Loki and Odin brothers, but yeah. in um, Grimness Mall. Yeah. So like, if you, if like, as I mentioned earlier, Loki's brothers are Byliest and Hellblendy. In Grimness Ball, one of the names that Odin says it's his own is Hairblendy. 
Yeah. Um, again, in Grimness Ball, Odin mentions his name. He mentions like all of the names that he is known by. So a lot of people say like, well, maybe Hairblendy is supposed to be very, it's very similar to Hellblendy. So maybe they are actual brothers and not just blood brothers, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and that, that Loki would like to joke and call Odin a uh, half blind or Hellblendy kind of, because he went half blind after he went to hell, right? And uh, went to the well of Mimir. So that's definitely a joke Loki would make. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing that further. Um, and then I but it's, it's this something earlier. to think about. Yeah, because John Lindau says that, that Loki is Odin's blood brother. And I asked you earlier if you knew you know, where that actually comes from. But we'll, we'll come back to that in a future episode. But just neat things about Loki <laughs> yeah. and his brothers. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, it would just explain exactly like why uh, you know, Odin, as I said, keeps like Loki around. And like they, they were travel companions in one of the uh, previous episodes that we discussed. So it's going to be interesting to unpack because there's going to be like a little hint in Locusena as well. But there's like a lot, there's like a lot to unpack there. Yeah, no, and maybe, and maybe we even leave it for later. You know, I, I think maybe that's a, a fine place to stop that we have a, a lot to say on Fenrir and, and wolves. And maybe we leave that for next week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we've discussed uh, Sleipnir in previous episodes. We discussed in this episode other sons of Loki, one of which is Nar- Nari or Narfi. Um, and then we have another one named Valley. And then we also discussed Jormungandr and uh, Hel. So there's another one named Fenrir, who we have briefly mentioned in previous episodes, but chapter 34 of Gilfaganine kind of goes deeper into a story of how Fenrir, you know, directly plays a part in Loki getting pissed off that directly leads into potentially Ragnarok, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So we can discuss that next week. That's the the pathway of this season is we're working towards all the things you need to know working our way towards uh, Ragnarok. So we're trying to trying to hold off on it very much on purpose. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. All right, Sean, that sounds good. You have a good night. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye.